This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am really looking forward to finally airing this episode today. I recorded it a very long time ago, and it's finally time for you all to meet Evelyn Oshita. I first saw her on the Netflix documentary Stripped Down, Rise Up, and by the end of the documentary had tears in my eyes anytime she came onto the screen to speak. And I immediately knew I needed to have her on the podcast to share her story. So I'm warning y'all, sit back, grab a drink, keep the tissues nearby. Welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. So before I bring Evelyn on today, obviously this episode is titled Fuck Death. And that is something I am unfortunately familiar with. Um, I've talked about it many times on here. You've read it in Eat, Pray, FML. I lost my dad when I was a little girl, pretty traumatically. I lost my high school sweetheart at 18 in a car crash very suddenly. And I most recently lost my uncle to suicide. So I talk about all these in episode nine, Fuck Grief. But I wanted to take a minute before we dive into today's interview to discuss just death itself and how much it fucking sucks Um, and the different kinds of death that affect us differently because you're going to see a lot in this episode how her whole life was changed um, and then even after the death took place, there was still things that were being uncovered and coming up that were really rocking her world. Uh, So for me personally, when I lost my dad, I was so young that it didn't really register at the time. Um, it wasn't until my later kind of angsty preteen and teenager years that it really started to manifest as grief um, because it it then became clear what had happened and how devastating and drastic it was. Um, and I feel like it it took me... I mean, look, healing isn't linear, and although I feel healed around my father's death, you know, there's always things that come up. Um, Around my wedding, it was really 
sad for me to not have him there and reconcile with the fact that he wasn't going to be there to walk me down the aisle. Although my incredible stepfather, who I very much consider my dad, did. It still hits you in those big life-changing moments where you're like, oh, he's, he's never going to meet Tay. He's never going to read my book. Um, things like that that really still you know, come in waves and randomly hit you. Um, October is, I think, always subconsciously kind of a hard month for me because that was his birthday and the month that he ended up passing. Uh, and last October, I remember sitting in bed and pulled up a bunch of videos on YouTube, which I'm so lucky that I can have that. Um, just randomly sit and Google videos of my parents that will be there forever. Um, and I remember watching watching videos of him and just crying for the fact that like he was never going to get to know the adult woman that I have now become and that I'm so proud of. And I think that'll always be with me in some way that he's never going to know me now um, or know my future children if I choose to have them one day. Um, Even though in my heart, I know that he's up there witnessing all of it and looking down on me. There's still that little fleeting feeling of uh, sadness that I think always lingers there. My high school sweetheart's death was a very different experience for me, although it ripped open those same good old abandonment wounds. Um, It was a lot more jarring because it came out of nowhere. It was one of those things that you think that'll never actually happen to me or someone I know. Um, And it didn't really feel real. And when everything happened and they brought his body back from San Diego to Los Angeles, um, I remember wanting to go with his half-sister to go to the, um, the funeral home and see the body. And his mom had been like, please, Gabrielle, don't go. You will have nightmares. Like, just please stay here with me. Please don't go. Um, so I, I didn't out of respect for her. And that's one of the oddly big regrets I have. Um, because for a very long time, my brain couldn't wrap itself around the fact that that had actually happened. Um, I think with my dad, because I saw him, um, on the floor, I saw him get taken away. Um, So it made sense to my brain that it was real. Um, And because I never saw my high school sweetheart, it, um, it never really connected the dots. And I would have these very, very lucid, vivid dreams that he was A, still alive, B, everybody was like playing this weird fucked up trick on me um, and that he was really like living his life somewhere else um, for years. And there would be times where I would see someone that looked just like him walking through a crowd or driving on the freeway and I would double take and have to try and like catch up to that person to like see them. Um, And it really fucked with me mentally because it, I didn't see the proof in front of my face. I saw the news articles, obviously, like I went to the funeral, but I never was able to see the proof. And that did something weird mentally to me that I wasn't ever really expecting to happen. Um, Obviously, this was many, many years ago now, but um, it was interesting to watch how 
the different outcome of those deaths, like me being able to see a body versus not, greatly affected my psyche in dealing with it. And then most recently with my my uncle's suicide, which you'll read a little bit about in book two, it was a totally different experience for me. Um, obviously, when someone, you know, decides to take their own life as opposed to it happening circumstantially, um, it it's different. And there's a whole other weird side of that specific type of grief, which we also talked about in the grief podcast. Um, and for that, it was interesting because, you know, he lived out of state and we normally only get together around Christmas time unless there's a special occasion like a wedding. And so I hadn't seen him. Uh, and it wasn't until we went to Estes Park, Colorado to spread his ashes um, and do his memorial that it really finally felt real. Um, and I had to reconcile with a lot of anger that I was holding toward him. Um, not because of the disease that ultimately led him to taking his own life, um, just because of the way that it was done. Um, what my aunt had to deal with after that, uh, what it made my mother relive. Um, and after I dealt with a lot of the anger, I ultimately had a choice to make. And that was, am I going to let the anger be the memory and the emotion that I carry forward with me? Or am I going to let all of the good memories and the things that I know he should be remembered for um, be what carries forth. Uh, and ultimately, it, it only does a disservice to us when we carry that forward. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So listening to this episode back and just hearing her story, it, it was such a unique set of events that took place um, that she had to walk through and move through. And I rarely 
you know, get emotional when I'm watching documentaries. And this woman, every time she came on screen and spoke words about what she was dealing with and trying to overcome, I was, I had tears in my eyes, just like flooded with emotions. Um, And of course, so then I get on to do this podcast episode and it continuously happens throughout the episode. It's um, very moving and very powerful and a little heavy as as it can be when we talk about this this subject so whether or not you have had to deal with death in your life um, if you are lucky enough to have not had to overcome deal with um, experience that in a close form uh, I'm sure you know someone who has so I hope this episode can give you some insight um, on how to help and support those people that have dealt with it and kind of just open your eyes to what this beautiful soul experienced and was so kind to come on and open up and share her story with all of us. So without further ado, Evelyn Oshita. Miss Evelyn, I am so, so excited that you agreed to come on FML Talk. Thank you for being here, girl. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Um, so I mentioned on our the beginning of our episode that I first saw you on the documentary that Netflix put put out, and it really, really moved me. I don't cry often when I'm watching, you know, documentaries or or even films. Like something has to really touch me. And multiple times when you came on the screen, I was in full on tears. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I don't, sometimes I don't know if that's good or bad, but I guess if it touched you and it moved you, then um, my story was m- most likely meant to do that, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's beautiful that it's been touching people all over the world now. So let's jump right in. And before we get to how it was like filming the documentary, just tell me kind of about your story for people that haven't seen it. I lost my husband. Um prior, of course, to the documentary back in 2016, I wasn't sleeping. Um, So at night, and to try to put myself to sleep, I would either, you know, delete emails or go through go through my Facebook feed. And on one particular night, I happened to notice on the Facebook feed that there was um, Netflix, uh, they put out on the S factor wall, which is the S factor pole dancing classes that I was on a feed with, um, did have it on my, um, friends list. And this particular post was requesting, um, women to, they were seeking women for a, a Netflix documentary for female empowerment, not knowing what I was going into, but there was an application to be filled out. Um, I went back and forth with it cause I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Of course I did open up the application, read all the questions, closed it up, Still wasn't sleeping, and then finally, after an hour of tugging at my heart, something told me just to fill out this application and submit it. And it asked questions, you know, why? Why would you be interested? Where are you at in life? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And I focused more on answering the questions with the fact that I was um, a widow, um, where I wasn't moving in life. I was just getting up to breathe, wasn't waking up to live. And, um, also that I was a plus size woman 
and I didn't see, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't even know how I was going to handle the poll. I was just seeking the fact that they asked these questions. I answered them with all my heart. And next thing you know, I'm getting a call from S Factor Corporate that they're, I'm, was considered to be in the documentary. That's amazing. So when, how, take, take me through how you lost your husband and what happened and how long you guys were together and kind of like how you really dealt with that whole story. I've always felt like his name was Terry. I always felt like Terry was the love of my life. I knew him for more than half my life. And we had, we had this relationship where I'm not going to, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. There's the, you know, I'm Hispanic. So I come from the machismo growing up watching my, you know, grandmother and my mom, whatever a man said goes. Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of followed into this because I just felt regardless of what nationality he was, I did the same thing. Whatever Terry said, whatever, you know, whether it be a passive aggressive comment or he verbally said it, I did it. And that's just what I did because I just thought all my life, that's what we were supposed to do as Latinas. Mm -hmm. Um, we get together, um, my kids fall in love with him we move in together and we talk about getting married, which I had always wanted. But at this point, I was like, no, it's okay if we don't get married. Uh, well, we eventually did get married. And um, <laughs> we get married and within an, a year and a half, he dies. The week that he did pass, we were celebrating um, his 60th, 60th birthday. Oh, so he was young. Mm -hmm. We headed out to the casino that weekend and it's okay take your time <laughs> I, I know it all too well we you know we're just supposed to get up and go to the casino that weekend we were just supposed to get up go celebrate his birthday and um I remember he was in the bathroom and he kept hitting his head like four times five times really hard and I looked at him like what are you doing he goes I think I just busted my eardrum because he, at the time, this looking back now, of course, in hindsight, he must have been cleaning his ear out. And at that time, the aneurysm busted. So I think he thought he popped his eardrum. But he didn't. And at this time, I know something seriously is wrong. He's on my side of the bed. And, and, and the one thing about his culture, the way he lived, his space was his space, my space was my space. And... He was never on my side of the bed. And uh, I was just like, are you okay? And he goes, and then all of a sudden he just looked at me really like him. He just looked at me and he goes, I'm fine. And at that point, looking back again, now I'm just thinking he wasn't fine. And he wasn't going to tell me because then that would mean he'd have to go get checked. And of course, right. like most men, they don't want to go to the doctor, don't want to go to the hospital. Uh -huh. So we went on our day. We were on our way to... Um, the casino next thing you know it's 9 30 in the morning and i remember him ordering me a drink and right when he ordered me the drink i just he because it wasn't in a bottle he asked the waitress to put it in a glass for me um it happened to be blue moon 
and he goes can you please garnish it with an orange for her and i could hear him do this it's kind of funny now let's thinking about this and then she comes back and he hands it to me and i just thanked him i just at that moment i thanked him for loving me and for taking care of me the way he did mm-hmm. and 15 minutes later he had a full-blown stroke right there in the casino oh i mean gotta give it to him it was in one of his favorite places you know right <laughs> and uh oh, that must have that must have been so difficult to be there and like witness that happen i i can't even imagine oh it, it's just like everything happens so fast and then but yet it happens so slowly um like i could see myself walking and practically running to the bathroom because he's perspiring and I'm just thinking, what's what what's going on? But at the same time, I see him perspire. I'm like, I'm going to go get him a, ta- a napkin just to pat him down. But then all of a sudden, he started slouching towards me. And then now somebody comes over and they automatically just want to get him out of the casinos. But they're looking back now. They want him out. Right. And when the ambulance came, they just said, um, your husband has suffered a stroke. And I'm just going okay like okay all right then um i'm gonna go ahead and go get the car and i'll see you guys at the hospital that's what my whole thinking is you know because in my mind i'm thinking i have to get the car because if i don't get the car how are we going to get home and um i didn't get his keys Mm -hmm. of course they gave me his work keys because the, Uh. the last words we said to each other was i said where are your keys and all he could say to me was left meaning his left pocket Right. So, of course, the, the the EMTs took his keys off his left side, but they were in his pocket. And I was stranded at the casino for two and a half hours before oh somebody could get to me and get a ride. Yes, everyone was like, well, why did you take a taxi? But in my head, I'm thinking, I take a taxi. He's going to say, you wasted money. You should have just, you know, shouldn't have done that. I'm just thinking, yes, what I'm going to hear. So I'm sitting there trying to find somebody to come and get me. And my sister finally did, was the one that was able to. And uh, next thing you know, not understanding the terms when it comes to walking to a hospital. And it was literally a scene from a movie. I walk in, no, they all stop me. They go, I hear that must be his wife. They, somebody comes and takes me. They put me in this little room and... I'm waiting for them to tell me he's dead, but in so many words, I guess they did say he was. Mm-hmm. But they kept him on life support, basically, for me. But it still didn't register. Right. All I By now, it's four in the morning. We have been up since early morning the previous day. And I just want to get my... I just want to come and get my kids and come back to the hospital. And it wasn't until my daughter got there at 1030 and... My daughter heard them say, you know, he's, he's not going to make it. He's obviously gone. God, I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Um, so then did you say goodbye to him while he was on life support in the hospital? I wanted one more day. I wanted prayers. Yeah. And I wanted a miracle. And we, I got to give it to my um my exes, um, my ex literally drove to Santa Barbara, got my son, brought him down to Escondido, and we, we as a family, made the decision to take him off life support, and we took him off life support. Literally, um, 
well that day and then they they gave us four hours they go it's going to be two to four hours and i just was like you don't know my husband Mm-hmm. he's stubborn it's when he says and he, <laughs> he literally ended up hanging on till um i'm gonna say 12 hours later and oh, he wow. passed away on he literally passed away on his 60th birthday oh, i can't imagine what it must have felt like everything was like you said in a movie and moving in slow motion um so it, it's different you know with my experience when i found my dad I walked in, I was very young, and I walked in and saw him, but to be there and see the steps of it actually take place and happen is really traumatizing, I can imagine. Yes, because he would be the one that I would would call and say, hey, this is going on. What do you think? What should I do? And he'd be like, okay, this is what you're, this is what you could do, you know, or this would, this sounds like this would work, or you know don't worry we're gonna figure it out yeah and the craziest thing though three months before he passed so much greatness was going on like we were just in a great place like finally i just felt like we were in a great place Mm -hmm. with each other and then this happened and i think I think we're at this point in my life, I grieve those three months before he passed more than anything. Yeah. Anything. Got- and that's what's that's what's been the hardest, it's those three months. If I had to just pick something, it'd be those three months before. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it's almost like there's two different ways of looking at it. You can look at it like that it was so hard and tragic because these three months were finally here and it was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for and searching for and now it's ripped away from me. Or you can look at it like he he always knew he had to, to go early. You know, my mom always says that my dad told her he was going to die young. He just knew it in, on like a cellular soul level. And maybe maybe Terry knew and he wanted to have those blissful three months with you before before it happened you know well I think he knew that day I really do think he knew that day because when I did tell him thank you for loving me and thank you for taking care of me with you and he goes I just he goes I hope you I hope you 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 know this you I hope you know this like and I was like yes of course I do and then that was it wow okay so how did you start your grieving process before you got accepted into this documentary or is it just a blur um i don't think i was even i don't even can say i was grieving i mean (laughs) that day i was supposed to on his birthday i set up an interview um to be to seek a promotion at work Mm -hmm. and i remember the phone ringing and someone saying I was supposed to be there at 10 and he passed away at, you know, it's 7.47 and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to make it. Um, can you just tell them to give me a week, mm-hmm. you know? And of course, you know, three days later I called them and I said, just give me a week. And 
they're like, no, no, it's okay. We'll just wait. And I go, no, 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 just give me a week. Cause I knew I had to take care of things, but you know, I, I, if anything I want to say is now to anyone in the sense of this grieving or somebody passes, I didn't know anything. I, in the sense of, I didn't know where any of the bills were. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It was like a total, it was chaos. But at that moment, I'm, I'm just, my daughter's like thinking of me, you got this mom, you're doing it. And she goes, are you going to be okay? And I said, I'm probably going to be okay until the funeral. Mm -hmm. And by that I meant, because once the funeral happens, everybody leaves, everybody goes and they're back to life and I'm here still. And I didn't move. Yeah. I, my son gets back to school. My daughter's entering her senior year. I got to go back to work, put on my uniform. And all I could do is just put on my uniform, go to work, take care of my customers, and then get back home and just stay in bed. Yeah. Days back then, the, we weren't in, those, in a busy season, so I was off maybe three or four days at a time. Mm-hmm. And if that was... I just got up to go to the bathroom and got back into bed. Yeah. I mean, it got so bad. It got so bad that I even let my teeth go. I didn't even brush my teeth. Yeah. I, it's it's utter, just hardcore grief where you just don't want to move. I've, I've been there and it's, it's really tough to pull out of. I think every day I woke up and I was like, okay, am I good? Today's the day I'm going to die. Because mm. I just figured my grandmother died six months after my grandfather. So I figured, okay, I'm on borrowed time. Okay, I'm ready to die. But every time I woke up, I was like, okay, today's not the day I'm going to die. But so how do I get through the day to live? Right. I mean, that's, yes, I had my two children, but. Well, that doesn't take away from the, the grief your heart was feeling. So the documentary comes, you end up going to S Factor to start this pole dancing journey. What did you expect when you were going? What, what was the main hope that you wanted to get out of it? Just, just knowing that on, on, a, on Sundays I was going to get out of bed, mm-hmm. get in a car and drive to L.A., was such a triumph yeah triumph in itself um but when i walked in to the first day and i saw all these women i i just felt so connected i mean i didn't even know why they were there i mean i know we had one thing in common we all just wanted to to dance we wanted to be in this class and we wanted to learn pole so i was just so happy that there were so many of us there but then you know, you feel this connection when you meet someone, you you feel this energy, or at least I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, there's, uh, you know, this redhead walks in and her name's Elizabeth, who, who you find out in the documentary is my mirror. And she's wonderful. And I'm just, I just couldn't stop looking at her. There's Lisette, Lisette sitting across from me. And, and she's just this cute little thing with freckles. And <laughs> like all of us just looking at everybody, you know, Violet and I'm just like, wow, these women, you know, I'm like, I'm excited. I want to get in this room and see what they're going to do. What are they going to offer? What are they going to teach us? Yeah. And I, I, 
we just had to get in and we all sat down to get to know each other and I was wow I'm safe here oh that's beautiful and you open up a lot in the documentary you you talk about the fact that you had just lost your husband recently and it's really emotional to watch you you know kind of take that plunge and bare your soul to these this group of women and how they all like just wrapped you up in their arms like everyone I I could feel it watching it everyone was so supportive of the journey that you were going on because your journey was very different than other people's in the documentary some people were there for confidence some people just wanted to learn pole some people were healing from sexual abuse it was like a very diverse group of reasons that people were going to get back in touch with their bodies and like to feel something again um and your story you know i think really touched everybody that was there and everybody wrapped you up in their arms and it was really beautiful to watch yes they were they were so supportive um and then i again i'm in this class and i want i want to i want to just heal i just thought okay here it is i'm gonna give it all to you and here it is tell me what i need to do um and that was my goal my goal was to walk in and and heal um yes there was cameras in the room but at at a a certain point it didn't matter Mm -hmm. all that mattered was connecting and being whether it be with the pole whether it be with the sister by my side whether it be with the teachers the fact is I just wanted to breathe and I wanted to move and I wanted to live again. Yeah. And that's what they did for me. That's the, the support. I, I just can't even tell you the support of all these women that we come from all walks of life. We're all different backgrounds, all different needs, all different pains, mm-hmm. um, whether it be mental, physical, emotional abuse. Every, we all had something, but, and I think that's what made it so unique is that we all had something to give and take for, for each other. And there was one moment that um, men were brought in to one of the classes, like three very, you know, solid, energetically, you know, supportive, and they knew that they were there just to support these women and what they were going through. And basically what they had them do for those who haven't seen the documentary is stand there and you each one at a time would go up to one of them and you could dance a little bit, but then you would just hug them and kind of be in their space. And when you went up to hug one of the men, I, I just saw you kind of fold into him. Like it was, it was almost like you just needed that person that your husband had been for you to hold you and, and have you in his arms for a moment even though he was a complete stranger. It was really beautiful. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, they they all had a different, I believe, a different energy that was attracting. And by that, I mean, one came in and one was wearing more of a business-type shirt. And who he was the one I was drawn to because my husband and I met in in a you know business atmosphere. So we were always dressed up he was always clean uh, the tie and the business shirt and and that's who I saw like that's what attracted me to go to him Mm -hmm. um 
And yes, you're right. Some did dance to them, but my energy wasn't so much of dancing. It was more of a, again, just moving. And I did move to him and we, their energy was to allow us to have our space, him to have his space. But at that moment, I just wanted to just, I just told him how much I missed him. Yeah. Um, you know, you want, you miss so much. And it's not just the fact that they're here and alive, but touch, never realizing how much touch means. Yeah. And going back to those three months, the touching was happening again. Whether it just be a hug or holding hands. And I remember understanding even more so this this presence, male presence in front of me was so important because prior to that, prior when this documentary started, I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to be in a documentary. I better go clean my teeth. Literally, I said this to myself. Right. Went to go to the dentist and all of my dentist did to me was he touched my cheek. And by that, I mean, because... Um, He's about to give administer the shot to numb me because my teeth were that bad. Um, I let myself go so much in so many ways. Just it wasn't just my weight, but with my teeth. So when he touched me, I broke down, and he stopped me because he thought he hurt me. And I said, "No, I haven't had a a, a man touch me." Mm -hmm. And it was just literally he just not even touched me. He just picked up my cheek to pull the cheek back to right. stick a needle in me but to me it meant everything yeah and i think being around and, and at that moment in the documentary with that with him i just um just had to tell him how much i missed him yeah he needed to know yeah that was really beautiful to watch um which is also a reason why when the second half of your story came to light it for me as a viewer, I like my mouth dropped open. Um, and I, you know, with what I've been through, I felt for you so much. Um, so tell me about when you, you found that second little bit of information. It was coming up on a year of him being gone. And I used to always, I always told myself, the good thing about him dying on his birthday was one less day I had to 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 ache because, you know, most of us, we ache on the person's birthday because they're not here. Mm -hmm. And we ache on the person on the person's day, their sunset. So there's always these two days. Well, his happened to be right on his he died on his birthday. Right. And I knew I was going down. I was going down bad. And I just said, I don't know what to do. So that night I couldn't sleep again. I picked up his phone and I told my, I, I just said, let's just, just look at his phone and just, you know, grab onto text messages and be in the midst of a conversation, mm -hmm. whether it be mine or his. And sure enough, um, I came across a, a conversation and I saw the name and it was a name I wasn't familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't a, a female name. It was a male. So I opened it. And <laughs> I opened it and there were 
who knows, 15 plus pictures of this woman, conversations, and there, I, I guess, I don't, I mean, looking back, I'm, I don't remember, I can't say, I mean, here it is, so we're go. let me go back to replying his services, and I have his phone, because I'm trying to contact family and friends through his phone, because I don't have those numbers, mm-hmm. and I come across, and I find two pictures, and um, I know those boobs aren't mine, right? so, and they're two separate sets of boobs, Mm. So immediately, you know, my uh, good friend tells me, give me your phone. Give me the phone and let's destroy it. Mm. And I'm like, why? Like, why are we going to destroy it? I said, she was because you might find something else. Right. Well, here we are a year later and I did find something else. And I, I, at that moment... I was like, okay, I want it all. I, I called his boss mm-hmm. and I asked his boss, just tell me everything. Just tell me now so I can get it all out and I could just be free of it, so to speak. Right. I guess I just wanted as much pain as I could take so I could let it go. Yeah. But of course I didn't. I held on to this for seven months. What, what did his and boss end up telling you? I even asked her, well, did you have an affair with him? And she kind of laughed. And she's like, uh, no, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not. Uh, no, he's not even. I wouldn't even be attracted to someone like him. Oh. Like, you know, it's kind of she's kind of trying to make me laugh. Right. And 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 she just I mentioned the name. She knew who it was and she it made her angry. And. Um, yeah. And I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to not have him here to question and demand answers from and, and yell oh, at. <laughs> oh, you you go through everything like, okay, do you know how many times his phone, like he would play this game. I don't know. It had to be with birds or something. And I'd be like to kill time or Kino on his phone. We and I'd be sitting there and we'd be waiting for something. I go, can I just have your phone? He goes, well, what for? Now I know, like I right. hear now. Well, why? What do you want it for? And I said, well, no, I'm just going to play the game. Can I just play the game? And he would he would pass me the phone and I would just play the game. Or he always had um, his phone facing down. And I'd be like, never, never did it phase me. Why would his yeah. phone be facing down? We put our phones down. I don't know how many people put them down, right. um, but I've never put my phone down, face down. Yeah. Um, there was times where he left his phone at home. And me being the good wife, I'd wake up and I'd be, oh my goodness, your phone's here. Do you want me to take it to you? I'll go take it to you right now. And he'd be, no, 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 just leave it there. Just turn it off. Right. I'm like, we have to turn it off right but oh well okay but there was a time where i did take it to him i go i'm just gonna take it to you i'm right here around the corner you know we live close by da, 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 and that's what i would do i would take his phone to him yeah so it's, i well, guess I, I remember when i was dealing with my looking back after i found out about my ex-husband's affair it didn't ever even seem like it was in the realm of possibility so you never really look at those as like warning signs when it's not even anywhere in your mind that they could be doing something like that 
No, it has just a thing now. Looking back, it was there. Right. I just didn't understand. I just listened. Like, even before we got together, um, I would come... If I was coming over, and if he was out with someone, well, I'm not going to be home till 9.30. I go, well, it's okay. I'm going to be getting... I'm probably going to be... I don't want to be stuck in traffic. You know, or I would just say, I'll just be there. Well, don't come, though. Don't. I don't want you... Go do something. Go run an errand. Go... Right. Never. Right. It never dawned on me. Like, like really, really. I just, I don't yeah. know. You just won't want to, I don't know if it's just, I don't want to believe it or no, that can't be. Um, we're yeah. past that. We're, we're, we've been past this. Like, you know, but of course now in my head, you know, I remember when I saw one of the pictures, I'm like, I told my sister, it's someone at work. And she goes, how do you know? I said, because look at the background. They're in a, they're in a break room. Right. And he's, he's laughing at me. And she's laughing at me. And she's like, okay, I don't even, I'm not even thinking about that. She goes, I go, no, I'm not even looking at the boobs. I'm, I go, boobs are boobs, you know? I mean, he could have had all these other things in his phone. I, I get that. I get the, the eye candy concept. Okay, I do. I think my sister was like, she just was like, so you think it's somebody from work? And I said, yeah, it has to be. And so, but now I go into our text messages from that time frame mm -hmm. to this time frame. I, f I see the conversations. And, and what hurt me more that you'll hear in the documentary was the question she asked is when we felt violated. Was there ever a time? Mm -hmm. The violation for me was seeing him call her beautiful. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I couldn't say that word. Mm. I could not say it. I could not spell it. It made me sick. And then, well, obviously, I'm saying it today. You can hear me say it today. Um, but at that time, I couldn't. Yeah. How do you think that that affected your grieving process when you found all that out do you feel like it like put you back 10 steps I felt like I don't even know how to grieve I don't even know if I was grieving as it was how what do I do now yeah. I was just angry yeah. I was angry and it wasn't till I went to dinner with my kids after work we met my son happened to be in town and the, the, the waitress gave me a compliment because I was in my C's candy uniform. Mm -hmm. And just hearing her compliment me broke me down. I didn't know how to accept it. And, you know, when this came out, I did tell my daughter. My daughter immediately got up from the table and, and drove home. And it was my son and I left the table. She left because she just didn't know how to deal with it. But at that time, my, my son was like, well, you're in this documentary, Mom. Let it out. Let it go to help you heal. Mm. Wow. And that's, and that's what I did. That's amazing. If you could tell anyone listening or that's seen the documentary and was moved by it something about 
you know, if they're on the, the grieving journey or the healing journey, what would be your biggest piece of um, advice or wisdom to them? I look back, things make sense. But I think if you have this intuition and you, you got to trust your inner, inner self and if it's happening or um, you, you got to deal with it, you got to face it. It's not you. It's not a. Ref- it's not even a reflection of you. I mean, looking back at what I did find and see, it looks like it stopped right before those three months. Right, of course. Which makes sense. Yeah. But I did. But when I did contact her, I did go through her Facebook, and I did write to her, and I just told her, I know when you're going to see this. I know when you're going to find this message. Mm-hmm. And I figured out the reason why I'm going to know she's going to find it is because she's going to block me on Facebook, which she did. So she never responded to your message? No. Wow. Do you feel like you've been able to forgive your husband for all of it? Yes. I had to. Yeah. Because I didn't, I I had to forgive him um, because if not, it would just spin in my head. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, uh, do I want to understand it? To a certain point, I understand it. I understand that I wasn't somebody that he could, I don't think I was somebody that he could take care of anymore. Mm. I wasn't the weak woman anymore. And I think like this person that he was somehow communicating with, whichever way, was somebody that wasn't, that was weak in his eyes. Yeah. And I think he needed that empowerment mm-hmm. for a man. Because um, looking at the pattern of things, I'm like, yeah, makes sense. God, I, I wasn't that. W- I so identify with that, with mm-hmm. with not being the weak woman anymore. And they need someone that they can kind of mold and like take care of. And yeah, that's oh yes, that's he, powerful. Ex- ex- that's exactly it. I remember driving to Santa Barbara to take um, him, my son, to orientation. And I asked him if he was going to go and he, and I'm thinking now, of course, you always wonder, okay, well, he didn't want to go. Why? What was he going to do that day? Well, he didn't go. He, I mean, when I was getting ready to walk out the door, he goes, why didn't you wake me up? I'm going to go. I go, no, I got this. Did I have this? No, we got in the car. I told my son, all right, let's, let's get MapQuest out. Let's figure out how to get there. We're going to do this. I drove. That's the most I've driven in years by myself. Yeah. Of course, we got in the car. He drove unless I was driving myself to work. But he was always the one to drive no matter what, mm-hmm. even if we we're going to the market. So I get in the car with my son. We go. We do this. We come back. I walk in. He's sitting on the couch. And I I said these words to him. I didn't need you. Mm. And he goes, yes, I realize that. And it, And I think that's when it changed yeah and where do you feel like you are now with everything i i know i don't need a man good girl i mean yes we need them for certain things yes of course but i want a man in my life i don't need a man in my life that's um, the best place to ever get to it's the most empowering fucking feeling ever I don't need to hear from somebody else 
oh, by the way, you look nice. Mm -hmm. By the way, you look beautiful. By the way, I like the way that looks on you. If I look in the mirror and if I like it, yep. I like it. And if I don't like it, then I don't like it. It doesn't, you're, what you say to me isn't going to make or break me anymore. Yep. You know. Amazing. Amazing. And I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only your story, but just being so vulnerable and willing to go there. I know a lot of my listeners are going to connect with different things that you've gone through and in turn help heal some of their own grief. Um, it, it's, it's really amazing when we can look back and reflect on the good times and the times that were not so great and where we felt anger, but we're able to move through that with forgiveness and you're a really beautiful example of that thank you yes thank you so much for being here evelyn i really really appreciate it thank you thank you so much i really want to thank evelyn for coming on and just bearing her soul um it was really such a beautiful interview to experience and see someone who still has so much rawness and emotion around what she's dealing with and having it still be so fresh and being able to speak about it in a way to ultimately just help other people heal. Um, I am inspired by her and am thankful that she decided to bring her voice onto my platform to share her beautiful story. Next week, I am bringing on someone who you have probably seen me talk about on my page. Her name is Brienne Davis. She is a well-known actress, but most recently added author to her resume. And her book, The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, has hit bestseller a few times now on Amazon and she recently released it out into the world and it is a really awesome story of her life in Hollywood and how she overcame her sex addiction and all the things she went through and it's written in a very similar style to Eat, Pray, FML. So I urge you guys to go check it out if you haven't seen me post about it on my page already. And I have also been mentoring her through the process. So this has kind of come full circle for her and I, and I'm so very proud of her. Um, as you know, a few months back, we had a male perspective of sex addiction when we spoke with Mike Cosson. And it was really important for me to bring a female on to speak about the same subject, but also bring on someone who has held true to their recovery and has really committed and is living a life that is absolutely different than the one she once knew. Her her story is really powerful and it's a wild ride, so buckle up. Um, I can't wait for you guys to meet her next week. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you are not signed up for the subscription, you are seriously missing out. You can do that at patreon.com slash FML Talk or find it at the link in our Instagram bio where you can also get to the website with the, all the merch and your signed copies of Eat, Pray, FML. We are getting 
pretty close to uh, some big book two news, you guys. And the subscription is going to be where all the stuff that got left on the cutting room floor is. And believe me, there is a lot. <laughs> so you do not want to skip out on that if you are an Eat, Pray, FML fan. Thank you all for joining me for yet another episode of FML Talk. I love you guys, and I will see you next week. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.